Alrighty, hello everyone, and welcome back to the Reformed Dissenters, the show where Reformed Christians dissent against popular ideas of culture by asserting a biblical worldview. Yes, it's just me, Bruce Johnson. It's just me today. Um, so it's going to be probably a little bit of a shorter episode. Unfortunately, Jake wasn't able to make it. We had our great great grandfather, uh, our grandmother on our mom's side, um, passed away unfortunately last week, and so. Um, he was able to uh, go down to the burial ceremony over the weekend, which was really good that he was able to, to make it. Fortunately, I was not. Um, so he is uh, lives just a few hours away from, from where all of that uh, occurred. So um, yeah, so he was he was there for that. So you're just stuck with me today. <laughs> Um, but yes, uh, pr- prayers would be appreciated for our family. This was definitely a, uh, difficult loss. Um, so that would be, that would be great. Thank you. So today is current events Monday. We have a lot to cover. There was a shooting that happened last week and there are some details that are a little fuzzy. I'm going to do my best to break them down. I'm not the usual current events guy. So I'll try to do my best Jacob impersonation here. But uh, we're going to be discussing some of the details around that um, and some interesting questions I found while I was researching it. And then I want to wrap up this semi-short, shorter than usual episode. I want to wrap it up with a theological wrap-up. And I've titled this God's Judgment and a Christianized Civil Government. God's Judgment and a Christianized Civil Government. Um, But before we get into all of that, we have to do what we always do, which is talk about our verse of the week. Our verse this week passage is Colossians 2, 14 through 15. This reads, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. End quote. So for those of you who maybe have been living in a world where the worldview, the predominant worldview, this is in America, unfortunately, the predominant worldview is the gospel is this great, really nice thing that happened in my heart (laughs) or pertains to my heart, right? It only pertains to my personal salvation, uh, maybe it changes a few things about how I live a family life or, you know, go to church or those sorts of things, right? But the the lasting impact of the gospel has been relegated to a time thousands of years in the future or very soon or whenever, right? Sometime in the future when God comes, Christ comes back and burns the whole thing to the ground and we start over and it's a new earth and new heavens that way. But this verse goes directly contrary to that premise of disconnecting the gospel from the rest of the world, right? What we see here is there's the the gospel message of salvation, right? We see the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, nailed to a cross, set aside the, the hope of that, which is incredible. And then it's also connected to the second half of this verse. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. What? That's a shocker. <laughs> like, wait, what? If, if you've been listening to our show for any amount of time, uh, that's 
fairly obvious, like we make that connection all the time, but the gospel changes so much more than just how you personally live your life. It fundamentally transforms an entire civilization, an entire society, right? And so that's what we see here. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, right? Put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And elsewhere, um, I believe it's in Colossians, we are waging war, but it's not according to the flesh. But the war we're waging has divine power to destroy strongholds, right? And we're taking every thought captive. We're disarming arguments, every lofty idea raised against the knowledge of God, like all these concepts, right? This is very much an in-your-face sort of deal <laughs> that we're, we're supposed to get from this, right? And so if your interpretation of the gospel leads you to believe it's just a personal thing that happens in the privacy of my house that I'm just, just, just do a good job at work, you know, just do what I can heads down, you know, just then you've misinterpreted the gospel. <laughs> it is something that is all of those things, but so much more because it, it transforms how you live in society, what you make of the society you're living in. And of course, all of that is done through Christ and not ourselves. Right? So anyways, I thought this verse stood out really well. We're going to talk about that a little bit more when we get into the theological wrap up, but let's get into the current events for today. Um, so you probably heard about this last week. Maybe you didn't. I know this was something for me that I was like, Hey, what happened last week? And I'm looking into this and I was like, Oh yeah, I saw some headline or something about this. Uh, I don't, I don't follow the liberal news, the liberal media, of course, because <laughs> I don't like lies. Um, so they are, you know, going on, you know, rants and going crazy about this, of course, like they do with every mass shooting, because it's their uh, time to politically maneuver themselves and uh, push their agenda. Right. But um, I was uh, not super aware of it. So I looked into it and it's kind of crazy what happened. So last Wednesday, a series of mass murders were perpetrated and it, it happened first at a bar and then at a bowling alley, roughly 10 minutes from the bar. <clears throat> Both of them were committed by the same shooter. Um, and in total, 18 people were killed. There are uh, testimonies. And this is the one thing the liberal news media does do is, you know, talk to the victims, talk to the, we could probably and definitely should do more of that. Um, but they do uh, bring in some of those interviews. So those were good to, to listen to and just familiarize yourself with, with what these people lost. So it's good to keep them in prayer for sure. But um, the manhunt for this guy lasted almost two days until a shooter, whose name was Robert Card, was found dead on Friday. And apparently he shot himself. Um, one interesting thing was when I was looking into the name of this guy, the Daily Wire does this interesting thing. I don't know where I sit yet on it, but it's it's a cool idea. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know yet. It's an idea. Let's just stop there. Um, but the, their whole premise is we don't uh, exalt uh, these shooters, right? Because what they a lot of times the reasons the reasons why they do these things, included in those reasons why they commit these murders, one of them is they just they want to be, you know, their name is is feared or their name is exalted above a lot of other people's names. And it's this big deal. And they like that, right? They like the popularity, right? Yeah, no, this is twisted and perverted logic, but that's where they go a lot of times. And so the daily wires idea is deprive them of that glory, right? It's not glory, but deprive them of that popularity. So they don't 
they remove the name of the shooter and they remove any pictures of the shooter from their site, which is really interesting. I don't know. I'd love to discuss that. Send your emails to show at protonmail.com. Uh, we'd love to maybe chat about that if you have, if you have an opinion on that. Um, but I, I want to bring up two interesting facts about this whole situation. The first is that the shooter was previously in the army and was put in a mental hospital earlier this summer for several weeks. I think it was like two or three weeks. And then he was released, right? Which is like, okay, that's kind of interesting. So what? Well, here's so what. <laughs> he apparently was hearing voices and threatened to shoot up a National Guard base in Sako Ami. So violent, had a history of, hey, this guy's unstable. Why did they release him? Why was there no follow-up? Why was that like, this is just a constant thing. Whenever these shootings go down, we hear a week later, oh yeah, <clears throat> from the authorities, <clears throat> whoopsies. We knew about that. Yikes. Like, and you did nothing. Like, what What the heck? So this is important for several reasons. First, it demonstrates, just like I was saying, once again, that these shooters who've threatened violence toward others before have not been handled correctly by any means, right? In a Christian nation, okay? And this, I think, is the conversation we should we should always have. Okay, this is what happened. We're obviously not happy about it. It wasn't handled properly. How should it be handled? Well, the only way to actually get real and good answers to that question is to go to the Bible, right? So what would this look like in a Christian nation? How would we handle this differently? We need to be thinking about these things all the time, right? Whenever stuff happens. So, okay, how would we handle this differently? I believe in a Christian nation, not under God's judgment, we could biblically send these violent men to sessions with actual manly pastors, right? Or place them in productive work situations with strong, hardworking, godly men who would keep them in line, right? Because it's a bit of a predicament where it's, it's like, okay, they haven't quite committed a crime yet. So we can't put them in, you know, I don't believe in jail. I don't think that's biblical, but we can't, you know, punish them for the crime because they haven't, they've threatened violence, but we see elsewhere that when violence was threatened, there were procedures, right? And also you were supposed to go to the Levites and the judges and say, Hey, how, you know, what can we do? How do we do this? And the Levites could counsel the people and could counsel the, the one who was violent or who was, you know, dealing with these things, hasn't acted on a crime yet, but we've caught it. Okay, let's fix it, right? And the answer is not, oh, go to your secular humanist uh, ideologue and <laughs> have him pump you full of platitudes and, you know, self-centered garbage, right? The answer is not that. That's secular humanism. That is what led to this man doing what he did, right? They failed. The only thing that would actually work is a Christian, manly, strong pastor getting this guy under control counseling him with the word of God, right? Praying with him, giving him the gospel, returning him to Christ and helping him, teaching him how to live better, how to do better, how to not be that, how to fight those thoughts, right? How to resist the devil so that he would flee from him instead of succumbing to him and his temptations like he did. Right? So we need that. But then also he needs work, right? This guy needs to do something productive. He should have been put with strong, manly men who are out there, could handle him if he got violent, 
That's why it's strong, manly men. Like this is, you're under guard, <laughs> right? Basically. Um, but you shouldn't have just like, oh, throw them in a cushy mental hospital and just hope things get better. Yeah, that's how what happened happens. Shootings happen. Okay. So we've addressed that. Secondly, though, it brings into question the fact that he was in a mental hospital brings into question whether or not he was actually legally able to purchase or own a firearm under the state's regulative laws. So their own laws, right? Their own laws, not that their laws are good things. It's just interesting to me that these all powerful gun regulations keep failing, right? How strange. Who could have guessed? <laughs> Who could have guessed that, that these, these ideas that go against the Constitution, that go against logic, would have failed us? How strange. <laughs> like, so we, we're, we're constantly saying, oh, we, we need more gun regulations. We need to keep people, uh, you know, red flag laws and all that. Yeah, well, <clears throat> this guy was the result of what a red flag law would have done, right? He was in a mental hospital. He was being watched. And guess what still happened, right? This still happened. This should obviously, without a doubt, demonstrate the fact that those red flag laws, that the gun regulations, all that garbage does nothing. It's an excuse. It's a lie of the civil government to gain more power. That's all it is. Otherwise, this would have worked, right? Now, another strange fact, because we can't just blame the system. Can't just blame all of that, right? Because there were actively, pe there were people there, okay? Another strange fact about the scenario involves Maine's gun laws. While not tremendous, this was interesting to me, while they're not great, <laughs> they do allow for concealed carry without a permit, which is fascinating, right? So, so why didn't people in Lewiston, Maine, take advantage of that? Why weren't they taking advantage of their ability to own guns, conceal carry to defend themselves, to have that option. Why weren't they taking advantage of that? Um, we know of at least one man who tried to stand up against the gunman and was killed, right? But he didn't stand up to him with a gun. Why not? Right? Like what? this guy, great, a courageous man who stood up to this gunman was killed. It was horrible. Absolutely horrible. Why didn't he have a gun? Would that have ended differently? Uh, who knows? Because we'll never know. Right? My point is that these gun laws only help if men are willing to be men, right? If people are willing to stand up to conceal carry, to actually exercise their constitutional right to a firearm, if they don't do that, what good does it do to have these constitutional laws, right? Take advantage of the laws at your disposal. Laws won't save lives. People need to actually take action so defend themselves <clears throat> have a firearm conceal carry like this is really important and you can see the um the importance of this in a in a real life scenario real life situation that played out last week okay so um that's all i have on that topic i thought that that was really interesting if you had additional thoughts comments opinions facts that i didn't mention that you think are important send them our way trd show at protonmail.com. Again, send your emails to trdshow at protonmail.com. Um, we, uh, we always love hearing from you and uh, take your feedback uh, very seriously. So let's move into our theological wrap-up for today. I've titled this again, God's Judgment and a Christianized Civil Government. God's Judgment 
and a Christianized civil government. These two things go together. One means we won't have the other, <laughs> right? So go therefore and make all nations disciples. Pretty common, right? When, when, when we hear that today, unfortunately, a large swath, like the predominant faith in America today, and America's evangelical fish churches <laughs> are uh, not reformed, are Baptist, dispensational, premillennial Baptist, right? And so what unfortunately comes along with that very frequently, again, I'm generalizing here, but most often, more often than not, when you hear, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, what they hear is, oh, go out there and collect a few souls from each nation and uh, bring them into the church and teach them to go out and do the same thing. And that's kind of where it stops, right? Whereas Reformed, solid Reformed, Presbyterians, Reformed Baptists who actually understand this, generalizing again, hopefully read this as the other thing, right? Read this as we are meant to be discipling the nations. How do you disciple a nation? How do you disciple a person? Well, you teach them. If you're discipling a person to Jesus Christ, you teach them how to live in every area of life, every aspect from the time they wake up in the morning to the time they go to bed and they fall asleep, right? Everything in between should be done in accordance with scripture and to the glory of God, right? So that's how you disciple a person. How do you disciple a nation? Well, the same way, right? Every area, every aspect of that society should be done according to the word of God. Another way of saying that is it should be Christianized, right? This uh, banner I have up behind me says, you know, Christ is king of all. That should be a statement that basically sums up what this means. Now, Christ didn't qualify this call to make all disciples, all nations disciples of him. He didn't qualify this with an addendum and say, oh, but but not the civil government. You know, that's that's free to do whatever it darn well pleases like that. <laughs> that wasn't in there. I don't know what uh, version of the Bible uh, maybe it's uh, in your version of the Bible, in which case, <clears throat> heretical. Um, but in my version of the Bible, that's that's not there. He didn't add exceptions. And we know this, um, be, actually, be, because he didn't add exceptions, and because we know the rest of the Bible, we know that Christ is king of all. It couldn't be mentioned more times in Scripture. That's kind of the central theme, right? Christ is king of all. Quote, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Colossians 2, 14 through 15. He triumphed. He won. He's king over all. Right? And so Daniel seven fourteen is another great passage um, that all languages, nations, and people should serve him, right? A kingdom, an everlasting kingdom that shall not pass away. Um, it's, a, it's a glorious message and we shouldn't dilute it. We shouldn't water it down. Okay, <clears throat> so that is Christianized. When you're Christianizing a nation, when you're Christianizing a civil government, you're taking the word of God and you're applying it to that. And you're saying this area of life should also be redeemed for Christ, right? Christ owns this too. Let's live like it, <laughs> right? And the civil government 
is not left out of that umbrella. Okay, when Christians are judged is my next section I want to get to. When we utterly refuse to do what God has called us to do, we become fools. It should be pretty obvious if you've read through um, Proverbs, uh, Ecclesiastes as well, just the Bible in general. James is really good as well for that. Um, and our hearts become darkened and we lack understanding. When we sin, our hearts are darkened for a time, right? Or our, our minds get a little duller. We get a little, little stupider, <laughs> right? <clears throat> sin darkens the mind and sin is obviously the result and main instigator of apathy towards Christianizing our culture. Right? So those two things go hand in hand. When we're apathetic, when we're like, eh, I know we should probably think about maybe Christianizing the nation, but eh, I just don't want to. Or eh, I don't actually see how that's that important. Like, does the Bible actually call me to do that? Eh, I, don't know. I don't know. That would be me being apathetic towards Christianizing the nation. <clears throat> and that goes hand in hand with us um, sinning. Right? Sin darkens the mind, which leads to that apathy towards Christianizing a nation. Otherwise, we would be chomping at the bit. We would be just pouring over, just ecstatic, just like, I got to Christianize this world. I got to do something. What can I do? How can I get out there? How can I work for the kingdom? How can I connect with fellow believers, uh, fellow, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ and get to work? Let's go. Let's do it. You know, you would have that drive. Like, look at the apostles, look throughout the old new, the, the, the whole New Testament, their drive, just their passion to oh man, you know, someone fell out the window and something happened. All right, let's settle that and I'm back to worship. Let's go. You know, like it's just, it's this constant drive. It's this constant um, uh, wanting to get back to work. And so that is the opposite of apathy, right? That's when we've, we've put ourselves right before God. We've confessed our sins. We've turned. We are resisting the devil through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Not of our own, you know, ability to do that, but through the Holy Spirit. And it leads to this, this drive to work, this drive to want to congregate with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and work for this kingdom that we know we're supposed to work for. <clears throat> we're consumed, when we're consumed by the things of the world, <clears throat> we're back in that apathy state, right? We're consumed by the things of this world. We've devised creative excuses for keeping them. So some modern examples of this happening today right? We don't educate our own children because we want them to be salt and light in the government schools, right? Very common excuse given today. When in reality, the opposite thing happens, right? Like they're kids. Come on. <laughs> they're kids. You're sending a private onto the most dangerous battlefield in the world. <clears throat> Eternal stakes are at play. And uh, you've given him no weapons, no armor. And the other side has nuclear weapons and is armed to the teeth with uh, machine guns, he ain't going to last long, okay? That's, that's the situation when you send your children to the government schools. Bad idea. Don't fall for the excuse that they're going to be salt and light. They won't be. The other side will corrupt them. Uh, we also act like heathens when we get into public office because we have to play the game, right? We, we have to just, oh, you know, you got to play the game. Systems in place. Well, we can't. We can't change it. You know, like that would be, <clears throat> that'd be crazy. That'd be almost like, you know, a man dying on the cross and then 
um, somehow that like just completely revitalizes the whole world and causes a movement that would last thousands of years and transform thousands of civilizations. I mean, that would just, that'd be insane. I mean, we, we got to play the game. We can't, can't do that. It's crazy. It's crazy talk. Uh, but we also keep from making waves at work, right? Because I mean, well, it just wouldn't be very nice if we stood up for God's law in all areas of life. So let's do it. Let's do it in a few, you know, let's do it at night, evening. Maybe we'll do some devotions. Maybe we'll do it in the morning. Hey, we'll read, read the Bible in the morning. It's great. Yep. Uh, let's do it Sunday. And then work can kind of just be a different thing. <laughs> right? Work, civil government, uh, all those things can kind of just, eh, they'll be over there and the Bible can, be there. I'll see it again tonight. So we'll get back to it. Don't worry. Scary place to be. Okay. Finally, I want to wrap up sensible and just laws. The only place true justice or sensibility could possibly come from is the word of God. Okay. I won't say that this wasn't affected by our reading of the case for Christian nationalism by Stephen Wolf. <laughs> we had some very, uh, very uh, tense moments reading that book. Things we just disagreed very strongly with. And uh, it's the whole concept of natural law, right? Like this idea that there's just mystical ideas out there. I'm just waiting to grab them, right? Yeah, no, no, sorry. That's far, far too subjective and unnecessary when we have the word of God to tell us exactly what to do. And to think anything other than the word of God is reliable is to diminish what God has revealed to us about the sin in our own hearts, right? We think we can somehow out of the air, out of our own minds, just pull up these ideas of, Hey, this is how I think it should go without basing it at all on scripture and have these natural laws that are just built into the fabric of the world. Right. And we can analyze them and figure them out with pragmatism, experimentation, and not use the word of God. That's secular humanism. <laughs> and that's very, very bad. We don't just come up with our own ideas for civil government. We don't come up with our own laws and our own thoughts about how they should go or just let it be what it is and just play the game. No, we've been given a perfect and righteous and just law book from God, and we need to use it. All right, finally, I'll wrap up with actually something that... Um, we read in church uh, this week, which I thought was tremendous. Fits into this conversation really, really well. And it's from Heidelberg Catechism, question 123. It says, quote, thy kingdom come, that is, so govern us by thy word and spirit, that we may more and more submit ourselves unto thee, uphold and increase thy church, destroy the works of the devil, every power that raises itself against thee, and all wicked schemes thought up against thy holy word until the full coming of that kingdom in which thou shalt be all in all, end quote. And that's what we're doing. Right? We're working. This is not a passive thing. We're just living out our days and doing the best we can. No, we are actively striving for the kingdom, working to Christianize this nation. And we do that by working to Christianize all the little things around us that we can control and then work for more and then work for more until it bubbles out, right? So you start small, and if you're faithful in the small things, God will do what? He will give you the bigger things, right? 
And so that's what we're working actively towards. All right. Well, thank you for joining us today, um, listening or watching. We appreciate it. trdshow.net is the website. Send us an email, trdshow at protonmail.com. We'll be back on Wednesday. We are breaking down a brand new book. You'll see it up there on the shelf if you're listening. This is uh, Paradise Restored by David Chilton. We're starting on Wednesday. We're just reading chapter one. I'll have that calendar out pretty soon. In fact, it may already be out there. So check that calendar out so that you can follow along with the chapters we're reading. This is very, very exciting. This is probably one of my absolute favorite books. I think I've bought, maybe I've purchased like four or five copies of this thing and just given it out to as many people as I can because it's just, it's a tremendous book. So I think you're really going to enjoy this. Until Wednesday, uh, have a great evening, have a great rest of your day. And remember everyone, in all that you do, do it as unto the Lord. <laughs>